0: This is a recording from the University of Virginia, made possible by the Office of Engagement and recorded by the Office of Strategic Communication. On Saturday, November 1st, 2008, Professor Larry Sabato peered into his crystal ball one last time and made his final pre-election presentation on the 2008 presidential election. Sabato offered his predictions for the Senate, House, and governor's races and, of course, gave a state-by-state breakdown of the presidential race.
1: Tom, thank you so very much. I'm delighted to be uh, back home. I've been on leave this semester and haven't been in Charlottesville very much, so it hasn't been a good semester, uh, but, uh, and I've missed uh, so many things here in Charlottesville, but it's great to be back, and it's been fun to travel the country and be a part of the campaign and learn a lot. I learn uh, uh, just a tremendous amount with each new campaign, and so uh, we're, we're uh, hoping that it pays off. In various and sundry ways, and we'll try to make some predictions for you this morning. But before I begin, you thought you were just getting me, uh, and I'm like a piece of furniture. I've been around the University of Virginia off and off for 38 years, so there's nothing special about me. But I'm delighted uh, to uh, have with me, and I'm going to ask him to come up in just a moment and say a few words to you. Uh, the um, French ambassador to the United States, who came down this morning, we had a nice chat about politics and. He, uh, he decided to, to make that mistake and come over and listen to this lecture along with his entourage here from the French Embassy and I, I might say that uh, this is typical of the incredible international attention and interest in this election. Uh, it is just overwhelming. Uh, I just, I cannot tell you how many uh, how many uh, other countries' reporters and TV and all the rest of it, you know, want coverage. I. I can only do so much, and my team at the Center for Politics can only do so much, and I drew the line at slovenian television I, I didn't do them, but uh, there most of the others we try and accommodate. nothing wrong with Slovenia, uh, but uh, there you, you can't do them all uh, but uh, i I thought it would be nice and add a touch of class, especially given mr. Jefferson's ties to France, uh, and of course, um, uh, Lafayette, we passed the rotunda coming over from. Pavilion Four, 100 and I think it was 184 years ago. This month, uh, Jefferson had that wonderful dinner for 400 in the unfinished dome room for Lafayette. Went on for hours and hours and hours, and and they kept toasting one another. And finally, Lafayette ended it by saying, uh, "I think we've toasted enough, and I salute." this great achievement of the University of Virginia. So we have so many ties with France and we're just delighted to welcome this morning the distinguished ambassador from France to the United States Pierre Vimal. Mr. Ambassador.
0: Thank you. I'll I'll be very short because I think what you want to hear is uh, Professor Sabato and maybe I made the mistake of coming here, but you too, so uh, (laughs) we're we're all on the same side. Just let me tell you how pleased I am to be here in the University of Virginia. I think uh, it was uh, Lafayette uh, who came here and when he first met uh, George Washington said, I've come here to learn and not to teach coming from a Frenchman, usually very arrogant, that that was something. So I really came here to learn, to learn about your your politics, and Professor Sabato was uh, telling really the truth. Uh, There is a huge interest, not only in my country, but all over Europe, to your election, that has been looked at with uh, immense uh, interest, great attention. So, uh, we're looking forward to that. And just the last point with regard to the Slovenian uh, television, I got, <laughs> oh, I already got some reports. They love it and they want some more, Professor. <laughs> Thank you very much to all of you. <laughs>
1: Thank you. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. Mr. Ambassador, thank you. We uh, are honored by your presence and we appreciate uh, all of your associates coming down as well. I should learn from your brevity, but I will not. Uh, (laughs) But uh, we're going to take, they know me, and it's impossible. We're going to get into the discussion and the predictions because the election's Tuesday. There's no sense carrying on any further. Some of you will be happy, some of you will be unhappy. Do not blame the meteorologist for the weather forecast. You may not like it, but that is life. And we will all recover and go on and live happy lives because we still have the University of Virginia, right? <laughs> there you go. So <clears throat> And I should add that some of you will like it, except that I know this group. <laughs> So, I know what the balance is in all of these uh, all of these presentations, but look, as I begin, I like to start with the most important slide first, and it 's not this one it 's the next one it 's the only one that you really should take a note on if you don 't have a pen, you need to take one out because it 's my new book and, <laughs> and and as as tom falder said it 's out for sale i 've already signed all of them, and it 's they're right out front. I apologize for leaving right afterwards but i 'm We we have an all-day run-through on the BBC for the television broadcast on Tuesday night. I'm doing the Tuesday night ones on uh, the international, uh, BBC American International, and then I do all the British breakfast shows in the morning, which I find very amusing. But anyway, uh, that's the middle of our night is their their breakfast show. So I've got to get up and go through the run-through on that. I won't be there to cheer the team on, but I know I can count on you to do that. Okay, enough of an advertisement, although it does make a wonderful holiday gift. And, and I'd like to note the, the ambassador has one. I, I, had, I don't know how he got it, but he, he had a copy of it. Yes, thank you, Mr. Ambassador. I think I might have given it to him this morning. I inflicted it on him. All right, you know what I'm going to tell you, so let me tell you. Uh, the political environment couldn't be more toxic for the Republican Party. Those of you who are Republicans, I want to remind you the liquor stores are closed on Tuesday, stock up on Monday. <laughs> That's a nice way of telling them what's going to happen. And believe me, our, our Wahoos, our University of Virginia graduates, Mr. Ambassador, they know how to drink. Uh, there's no question about that at all. So you're going to need it. Uh, because you're going to have, my fellow uh, Wahoos who happen to be uh, Republicans, I'm, I'm not partisan I actually did, as I always do, every four years I voted for Thomas Jefferson. I have a witness, my assistant witnessed my, my ballot, I do that so that I don't, I don't spin things in one direction or have a, an investment in somebody's campaign. So uh, I, I voted for Jefferson. I already know my candidate's losing, so he's not going to win this presidential election. But uh, you're going to lose too, those of you who are Republicans, and you need to remember that everything's cyclical. Uh, and uh, life is cyclical, and economics is cyclical, and politics is cyclical. And your day will come again sometime before the end of the 21st century. Uh, I'm, not going to, I'm not going to be more specific about the year. I'm not going to let you hold me to any particular year. But it will happen. Why is it toxic? Let's start where we must start. Uh, I'm sure some of you are fans of President Bush, uh, but let me point out the obvious. He is the most unpopular president since polls have been taken. There is no one who even comes close. Not Truman, not Nixon, not Carter. Were they unpopular at one time or another? Yes. But their unpopularity w- was A discrete unit in their presidency. This president has been deeply unpopular in the 20s or 30s for three solid years. It's just unprecedented. Richard Nixon, on the day he resigned, was at 26%. This past week, a Republican pollster, a Republican pollster, measured President Bush's popularity at 20. Six points below Nixon on the day he resigned. So you see, you say, oh, well, John McCain doesn't have any connection to George W. Bush. They ran against one another. Truth is, they don't like one another very much. We all know that. Uh, That's in the nature of politics. And uh, has McCain caused Bush heartburn? You know, is the Pope German? Of course. Uh, Many many a time. But he, McCain, has the scarlet letter R (laughs) emblazoned on his forehead. And he is linked to President Bush by party identification. Party still matters to at least two-thirds of Americans. There is absolutely no way for John McCain to escape this. And in all of American history, in all of American history, even before the age of Poley, because we can impute popularity based on other other, uh, substantive issues and and circumstances of the times, in all of American history, no two-term president has ever been able to pass along the presidency to a member of his own party when he was unpopular, and by unpopular I mean just below 50%, not at 20%. Think of it this way, John McCain has to get all of George Bush's supporters and then more than double it with people who hate Bush. That's, that's, a, that's a strange bedfellow coalition. And it's, it's, it would be difficult for anyone to put together, and by the way, for those of you who supported other Republican candidates, save yourself the post-election analysis of trying to suggest that they would somehow have won. They would not have won. This election was in the oven, cooking, by mid-July. And those of you who follow the crystal ball know we had a very controversial article in mid-July, two colleagues and I published an article which was picked up by some newspapers including those of you from Richmond, the Richmond Times-Dispatch, saying that uh, not only would Obama win, this was when they were tied in the polls, not only would Obama win, we said he would win by a comfortable margin and you will see how comfortable it is on Tuesday evening. Uh, Again, not McCain's fault, nothing he could do about it, none of the other Republicans could have done any better? They may have done worse. I think Mike Huckabee would have done worse. I know some of you think Mitt Romney would have been a good nominee. No. He had the Mormon problem on top of everything else. So I don't think any of them would have done particularly well given the circumstances. So uh, that's the, the sum and substance of, of this election. The dominant issue even before the meltdown was the economy. We just learned this past week. What was obvious even in the summer, the economy was barely chugging along, and we entered a recession in the third quarter, and certainly the fourth quarter uh, data will be much worse, and so you need two consecutive quarters of negative growth to produce a recession. How long will it be? How long will it last? I, I can't tell you. I'm not an economist. I'm not a lawyer. My other habits are also good. So I cannot tell you how long it will last, but I can tell you this. It occurred at the worst possible moment for an incumbent party. If you have a recession, you want to get it over early in your term. If you have to have it at midterm, you want it to be a shallow recession. But you cannot get elected if you have a recession during the election year, much less in the two quarters centered around the election, which is exactly what has happened here. And remember, that was before the meltdown, and then as of mid-September came the meltdown, and John McCain, as he had freely admitted, was no expert in economics, something he never focused on. He didn't know what to say. He actually said, as the market was falling, the fundamentals of the American economy are sound. Now, maybe they are, in the sense that we'll survive and we'll muddle through the way we always do. We'll get through uh, these recessions. Uh, With your help, you saw that terrible story this morning about our endowment taking that $600 million hit, and I know some of you have taken a hit, too. We all have. But of course, at the end of the year, I know you'll step up to the plate. Not just for the University of Virginia, but for the Center for Politics. (laughs) And knowing that these are tough times, you will increase your contribution or at least keep it the same. By the way, when you get that little card from the Alumni Association, there's a blank space. You write in the Center for Politics. They can't add our name. You see, it's, it's not a tradition uh, to add things to the card. So I thought I would mention that you actually have to write it in, but you're very bright people. You're University of Virginia graduates. I know you'll remember to do that. Uh, so anyway, back to the subject. The, uh, the economy... Here's, here's the, the reason this was so bad. Now, I know this crowd, and almost all of you have investments. We're proud of you for doing so well. And you have your 401k and your IRA and your mutual fund investments and your stock portfolios. And when did the stock market crash occur? In mid-September. Dramatic. A 30-some percent decline just in time for the quarterly statements, which were sent out October 1st. And you know how long they take to get there. I'm not going to say why. It takes a long time to arrive, and we're still getting them. All during October, Americans, day after day, have been opening up those statements, and there are indentations in the floor from jaws dropping all across America as they discover a third of their wealth has disappeared. I always ask, what is the question being posed at the breakfast table around America? And the number one question this fall is, when, if ever, will I be able to retire? And that is precisely the wrong question if you're the incumbent party. Precisely the wrong question. People feel poorer. They know that their wealth has diminished. In Ronald Reagan's Famous, inestimable phrase, are you better off today than you were four years ago? Most people interpret that in terms of pocketbook. It's just the American way. And the answer's obvious for almost everybody. The answer's obvious. So, there you go. The economy has obscured the other subjects. Is there still unhappiness about Iraq? Yes. But it's not, it's not on the front burner. The way we thought it would be a year ago, we thought Iraq would be one of the fundamental issues of the campaign. It's there, but it's not really dominant. Scandal, nobody's cared. There have been little mini scandal, scandalettes about the candidates and their wives and their preachers and the this and the that. You know, it's because you've got 36,000 reporters and bloggers and there are only 12 Pulitzer Prizes. So they're all competing. <laughs> And they're going to turn up what you did in elementary school when you turned around and hit Little Mary. You know, it's going to, it's going to be an article, particularly in the New York Times. has got to be a column in the New York Times. But it doesn't matter this year. It doesn't make any difference this year. And then those hot-button social issues, they come to the fore when we are not focused on the economy or war and peace or a big scandal, a you know, Watergate-sized scandal, something like that and obviously we are too focused on the economy to care as much about those social issues. Yes, there are millions of people who are voting for and against candidates on guns and abortion and this and that, all the social issues, but it just hasn't been discussed very much and it isn't going to under these circumstances. I'm going to depart briefly from the presidency uh, to depress the Republican members of the audience still further by discussing Congress. Uh, and we're going, to, we're going to tell you things are deteriorating on a daily basis for the Republican candidates. The bottom fell out with the meltdown in mid-September. And now even secure Republicans are looking over their shoulder, worried about what's going to happen. Most of them will win. But remember what 2006 was. It was a big Democratic year. Democrats picked up uh, those uh, six seats in the Senate to take control. They picked up the 29 seats in the House, later expanded to 30, and then finally uh, the three additional uh, seats with special elections. Uh, So they were already in very good shape. But incredibly, they're going to come close to or exceed a doubling of what they gained in 2006. This hasn't happened for the Democrats since the elections of 1930, 32, 34, and 36. Democrats had four great congressional years together because of the New Deal, first because of the the Great Depression. I don't want to make the same mistake Joe Biden did. Herbert Hoover was president in 1930. Uh, You remember he went on television talked about the stock market crash. Didn't do a very effective job uh, at that time. But, um, uh, Democrats had four good years. Republicans last had two great years in a row in 1950 and 1952, uh, when they uh, first uh, capitalized on Truman's unpopularity in 1950, and then took over uh, Congress uh, by small margins when Eisenhower was first elected in '52. Well, this, this tide, and it's a t- it's between a tide and a tidal wave. It's impossible to measure the size of the wave Precisely. You never know until election night. But it is between a tide and a tidal wave for Democrats. And so, at a minimum, I think they're going to pick up 26 seats. At a maximum, 35 seats. uh, The Democrats obviously are going to... And that's going to put them, by the way, at two... um, uh, They will be over 260. They could be over 270. Remember, you only need 218 for control. So they're going to have an enormous majority in the House. And under House rules, that means the leadership of the House will be able, I think, essentially, especially in the first six to eight months of the new administration, they will be able to get through whatever they want. Uh, you don't have unlimited debate. It's, uh, you have freight trains in the House of Representatives, and we're going to have a lot of freight trains uh, in that first six to eight months. But then there's the Senate. Now, the Senate's always been the break, B-R-A-K-E, on the American system, just as the founders devised, although, remember, they didn't imagine that it would take 60 votes uh, out of 100 uh, to really get anything controversial passed. Maybe that's a good thing, maybe it isn't, but it's there, it actually used to be 67, so it was reduced in the, in the 70s down to 60, uh, but that's still quite a hurdle. Will Democrats get to 60? Answer I don't know. They're either going to get 58, 59, 60, somewhere in that vicinity, but they don't need 60, and here's why. Joe Lieberman, yes, is a problem for them. He may, he may start caucusing with the Republicans. I don't know. There's been talk that he will go ahead and switch sides. Uh, he votes with them on all national security and defense matters anyway, so I don't think it'll matter all that much. Domestically, he may still vote for some of the Democratic uh, programs that will be coming up but you have three liberal republicans who are coming back susan collins who will win re-election in maine olympia snow in maine and arlen specter in pennsylvania and those three votes will be available to the new administration for their programs at least for the first six or eight months so even if democrats get 58 seats they're going to get the 60 they need and there's been too much coverage of the 60 because you see when you have a large majority you're able to do a lot of maneuvering with the Senate rules. You can attach a lot of things just to a budget bill, which only needs 51 votes. It's not going to be that much of a problem until the honeymoon fades. Honeymoons fade for all presidents, and they will for this one, too. I would have no idea what the time limit is, but uh, it will be shorter rather than, than longer. Now, remember, if the Democrats do well, And do well means getting their agenda passed and having the economic situation improve over the next two years. And they're probably disjoint sets because the government doesn't run the $14 trillion economy, despite what most Americans believe. But if coincidentally the economy improves over the next two years, along with the programs being passed, Uh, by Congress, Democrats will be rewarded in 2010. I've already looked at the Senate races in 2010. They look very good for the for the Democrats. There are still more Republican seats up in 2010, and the Democrats are very solid in their seats, and there are at least five Republicans who are very, very weak in their seats. So the Senate could, could stay the same or even go more Democratic, potentially, in 2010. But it's the House that could change substantially if Democrats do poorly or if the economy does not improve before 2010 then you could see a pullback here's the problem for republicans the democrats are running up the score so high this year it will be a series of elections before they can get back uh, in control i don't i don't think you'll have another 1994 we'll see you know that's 2 years off and i reserve uh, the right to uh, to uh, discuss that at the appropriate time all right let's run through some of the, I know some of you are interested in Senate races, we'll do this very quickly, because this is, some of these are easy, like this one. I mean, let's not even talk about it. Uh, it's not necessary. Uh, New Mexico, open Republican seat, being picked up by a Democrat named Judahl in Colorado, an open Republican seat being picked up by a Democrat named Judahl in Alaska. The corrupt Ted Stevens will be shown the door by Democrat Mark Begich. and remember, Palin, is enabling McCain to win Alaska in a landslide. Alaska was tied before Palin was picked. Tied in the presidential race before Palin was picked. Now it's a landslide. Alaska normally is like 70-30 Republican, Uh, but even with that Palin-induced landslide, Begich will defeat Ted Stevens, and the other surprise is the one Republican congressman's going to lose too, Don Young, who's been in since the 1970s. He's out because of corruption. It's, it's that Vico scandal up in Alaska. I, this one I'm less sure about, but I'm picking Shaheen over Sununu, the incumbent. In New Hampshire, I think that's another minus one for uh, the uh, Republicans. Those of you from North Carolina are really going to be unhappy with this one. I never saw it coming. I will admit it to you very frankly. I could not have imagined Elizabeth Dole losing. I think she's going to lose. Uh, Part of it was that, frankly, she became Washington's senator to North Carolina. Over two years' time, she visited 33 total days out of 365 times two. In another year, a total of 13 days in North Carolina. And we all know why. Bob's on Viagra. That kept her in Washington. <laughs> so I have I have great sympathy for Elizabeth Dole. It's not her fault. Now, she's got a very tough ad on. That's a very nasty ad. Maybe it'll save her like the Jesse Helms ad saved him in 1990 when he was running as Harvey Gantt, but I kind of doubt it given what's happening otherwise. This one, another surprise. Gordon Smith, very popular senator from Oregon, but he's got the scarlet letter R next to his name, and Oregon is going heavily for Obama. This one I may change on Monday. I just have never been able to imagine Al Franken winning in Minnesota. Uh, anybody here from Minnesota knows that The the nickname attached to Minnesotans is Minnesota Nice, and they are so nice. I mean, they ask you how you're feeling, and they actually want to know. Uh, So, you know, they're great people. And Franken is acerbic, uh, as befits his profession, and he's had a lot of run-ins with a lot of people, and in another year, he would have been blown away. Uh, but you've got an independent, backed by Jesse Ventura, who's getting between 12 and 20 percent, Dean Barkley, uh, and that's taking apparently disproportionately from Norm Coleman, the incumbent Republican. That's one that will, that will go late, and the latest polls show Franken ahead of Coleman. I may have to switch that on Monday in our final uh, crystal ball uh, outcome if you want to take a look at the website. Uh, this one, I just was in Kentucky this past week. Amazingly close. Uh, McConnell is being helped by the fact that McCain will, in fact, win uh, Kentucky, but uh, it's close, and an upset can't be ruled out. And he's the minority leader in the Senate. He's really been tagged with the uh, bailout of Wall Street. This, I think, just because it's Mississippi, I'm betting on the Republican. But it's very close. I think Wicker will will pull it out. This one in Georgia may be headed to a runoff. I. Uh, Saxby Chambliss was ahead 30 points just a month and a half ago, and uh, now uh, Jim Martin, who had a son who went here a few years ago, and we taught him in politics, uh, is, is nearly tied. And in fact, Georgia, uh, which McCain led by 20 points not too long ago, is within three. It could be one of the great upsets on election night, but we'll see. I'll talk about that in a moment. The only seat Democrats have in the country that was even slightly vulnerable was Mary Landrieu in Louisiana, and it's over. She's won. Uh, She's going to win re-election on Tuesday. So Republicans will pick up zero Democratic seats. Zero. And they will lose seven, eight, nine. And uh, obviously that's going to be the most Democratic Senate since uh, the first two years of the Carter administration. That didn't go very well uh, for, for Carter. So you know, those of you Republicans, I suppose, can can take heart in that. Look, the, the coalitions this year are the most interesting that I've ever seen in American politics. Uh, young voters, by the way, leading twenty uh, some points for Obama to a twenty point gap. Kerry won them only by a few in two thousand four. Twenty point gap, uh, overwhelmingly for Obama. African Americans. Normally, Democrats get 88% of the African-American vote. They're going to get 97% in a large African-American turnout this year. Hispanics, uh, Bush got 40% in 2004. If uh, McCain hits 33, I'll be surprised. I mean, that's how bad it is for uh, McCain among minorities. Uh, Upper-income higher education communities in the exurbs and the older suburbs and communities like... Uh, Charlottesville, all college towns, Charlottesville, Albemarle, some of you uh, were here at UVA at a time when Albemarle was 70-30 Republican. Reverse that now. It's 70-30 Democratic. Charlottesville is 80 to 85 percent Democratic. This is typical of college communities, with the exception of places like Liberty University. But I'm just, there (laughs) there are exceptions, but overwhelmingly uh, that is in fact what's happening. McCain is leading by only a few points among seniors, And here's what's really interesting. Among whites, he's leading maybe 8, 10, at most 12 points. All Obama needs is 41% of the white vote, and he's getting considerably more than that. Fundamentalist Christians, the only bright spot for McCain because he put Sarah Palin on the ticket. That's what she did for McCain. She brought the base back. She brought the fundamentalists back. Problem is, she alienated the moderates. And so you've got the 10, 11% of Republicans who are Colin Powell, Republicans. They're all defecting. And where are they concentrated? Those high-income, high-education suburbs and exurbs and rural areas, but rural areas are twenty-some percent of the vote as opposed to more than half in suburbs and uh, twenty-some percent in central cities. So the target groups so far have been leaning to Obama. Asians clearly leaning to Obama. Swing independents, four or five points to Obama. White women to Obama. Working-class men have been leaning McCain, but not nearly by the margin expected, and we'll see whether that holds up. Uh, I've had this this uh, placard up, this slide up, for months. I uh, haven't changed it because this was the easiest campaign in the world. It was even easier than Bill Clinton's in 1992 because Obama simply had to look back to Bill Clinton's campaign in 1992. It's the economy, stupid. It's the economy, stupid. Senator... Uh, how do you like the weather today Uh, you know the weather is good here but it's bad in a lot of parts of the country and it's really damaged our economy uh... nice shoes senator isn't it a tragedy that we no longer produce shoes in this country all those jobs have gone abroad Uh, you just keep talking about the economy that's all you say an answer to every question He, he took him a while to get it he's a harvard lawyer took him a while to get it you know he was asked the time of day he always told you how to make a watch finally he's telling you the time uh... and that's helping all he had to do was convince people that John McCain was George Bush's third term and it has been done, as I will show you in a moment. He is outspending McCain. This is the first that uh, Clinton outspent Dole in 96, but I don't even count that as a race. Um, we go back to uh, even the Watergate period. Democrats did not outspend Republicans. They spent equally in 76 The last time that a Democrat dramatically outspent a Republican was Lyndon Johnson in 1964. Some of the states you'll see fall into Obama's camp on Tuesday night will be voting for their first Democrat since 1964. Don't forget, Bill Clinton never won a majority. He won 43% and 49%. Jimmy Carter got the barest of majorities, 50.2%. You will have your best Democratic showing in the popular vote, since 1964 on Tuesday night. Uh, the the uh, Democrats have totally outclassed the Republicans in turnout and registration operations. Look at that enthusiasm gap producing millions of early votes for Obama. He's leading by a mile in the states where the uh, polls have been done of early, uh, early voters. It's not even close. Now, Republicans will catch up on Election Day to a certain degree, but it tells you who really wants to get out there and vote, who's chomping at the bit, who cares, who's enthusiastic. This year, it's the Democrats. In 2004, the Republicans won that, hands down. The enthusiasm gap favored Bush over Kerry in 2004. I'm going to talk about the electoral map in a a moment. Uh, The the greatest accomplishment for Barack Obama has been keeping the Clintons engaged, because as you know, uh, their goal uh, was a little bit different, as I'll show you in a moment. I'll just summarize what I've said. Here's, Here's the summary of the election, okay? That's the summary of the election. It's the embrace of the Black Widow Spider. (sighs) And as far as the Clintons, hey. uh, (laughs) Bye-bye, (sighs) bye-bye. I've seen a number of you over the years, I've told you that, that if Obama were to be losing, The best indication would be Bill, who's been pouting for months now, Bill going on Larry King toward the end of October and saying, oh, Larry, we we want so much for for Brock to win, but Hillary and I just don't feel good about the way it's going. Stick the knife in. Because, you know, they wanted her to come back with the 2012 I Told You So campaign. Well, bye-bye. Now, if Obama's smart... He may try and talk her into that first Supreme Court vacancy. He has to appoint a woman, has to appoint a woman, no question about it. That will be the first appointment. And if he gets her on the court, he takes care of the Ted Kennedy versus Jimmy Carter problem back in 1980. She won't be around to challenge him in the primaries uh, in case things aren't going well in 2012 and you 'll get credit for you know bringing the party together and appointing a woman and you know all the rest of it so we 'll we'll see somehow I doubt it i don 't know if you know, but relations are a little frosty between the obamas and the clintons and and you think you think Barack Obama does not like the Clintons. you should hear Michelle Obama in private okay well they 'll get over it, but you know Bill you know you can just tell he knows it 's over see he 's old hat he was once the Prince Charming, the bright, shining star, and the democratic uh, dominant figure, and all. It's gone. It's over. See, there's somebody who's far more with it. The biggest celebrity in the world. It's no longer Bill Clinton. And it's just grating at him. Just grating at him. Okay, now, was there any way for McCain to win? Personally, I do not believe so. I think this election was over a long time ago, and as I've already told you. Uh, However, The only possible way that he could have maybe come really close is by rejecting Bush policies, taking a chance on that 20% to vote for him automatically just because he was running against Obama. He would have to have stressed Obama's inexperience, which he gave up the moment he picked Sarah Palin. I know some of you are Sarah Palin fans. Fine. Be Sarah Palin fans. But understand what McCain gave up. His best general election argument. Experience. Gone with her selection. And I'm not even going to get into the Palin thing. Uh, You know, taxes. He's tried to roll that out in October. Where was that? When he was the nominee for three months while the Democrats were still fighting, that was the issue to push. It's substantive. It's the best issue Republicans have. They certainly can't use spending, you know, having doubled the national debt in, uh, in, in two administrations. See, they can't use that anymore. Fiscal conservatism doesn't work. Taxes are the best issue they have, certainly not social issues. And McCain's biography, which still appeals, but it isn't enough. Uh, obviously, uh, thank goodness it didn't happen. Dramatic terrorist event, foreign policy crisis, a real crisis, not the invasion of Georgia, but something that, that directly affects Americans. That might have put the emphasis on McCain's commander-in-chief uh, credentials. Obviously, good economic news, and it isn't going to come. Uh, I think that those two biggest uh, missed opportunities. He has just started bringing up the idea that he's the check on the Democratic Congress. See, he didn't want to upset his buddies on the Hill. Truth is, Democrats were always going to add seats. Our first projection on the crystal ball last December had Democrats adding, not this many, but a dozen seats in the House and three or four seats in the Senate. Best issue we have, ladies and gentlemen, my fellow Americans, I know you don't trust either party. You shouldn't. You need to elect me to check the Democratic Congress, and they'll check The president, the Republican president, nothing will happen and you'll be safe. The swing independents buy that. They love that argument because they don't trust government or either party. And he missed the opportunity. Also, the man is 72. He would be 80 at the end of a second year term. He's had melanoma four times. All right. Uh, he needed to pick, first of all, a strong vice president, which he didn't do, somebody who could immediately be seen as succeeding to the presidency if needed. But he also needed to get up at the Republican convention at the, on that last day's speech and say, my fellow Americans, the calendar doesn't lie. It's vital uh, that uh, I admit that. I'm ready for one last assignment. I am vigorous. I can handle this, these next four years. I shouldn't run for a second term. And here's the advantage for you. By not running, I abolish, banish politics from the Oval Office, and every day I will bring Democrats and Republicans together to work on America's problems uh, so we'll have substance instead of politics for a change. He didn't do it. They debated that in the campaign for a while. But naturally, they never want to give up power before they have to. Um, This, I've got to be honest, I'm not a fan of either vice presidential candidate. I think both presidential candidates could have done better. Uh, Biden was an acceptable choice in that he filled uh, the uh, foreign policy uh, gap in the resume for Obama, but I don't think uh, Biden is, is nearly as outstanding as some people do. I've already put in a b- bid to a publisher uh, for a book entitled uh, The Book of Biden uh, My the, the publisher came back to me and said, I can't publish something as long as we're in peace. Um, <laughs> Which it will probably be by the end of eight years. I mean, the man's a gaffe machine. It's just hilarious. Look at the number of mistakes he's made with all those handlers around him as the vice presidential candidate. You may not know this, but he is no longer allowed to talk to anybody. I mean, he has to stick to the script. He can salute the band for a great song, but that's it. And Obama laid down the law. They'd had it with Biden after about the fifth major gaffe. And look at what's going to happen during the administration. And Sarah Palin, I'm just not going to get into it. She's been battered enough, uh, and there's plenty of justification for it, but I'm going to leave that alone for the time being. Our static electoral map is over. Uh, New Mexico, Iowa, and New Hampshire the only states that change sides. All the blue states staying blue in 2000 and 2004. All the red states staying red. Let's take a look at what I think will happen Tuesday night. And I'm still debating some of these, and we'll have the final calls on Monday on the crystal ball. The important thing for you to know is every blue state from 2004 is staying blue, every one of them. Forget about what McCain's doing in Pennsylvania. I don't know the margin there. I simply know that it will be extremely difficult for McCain to make a breakthrough in Pennsylvania. His other hope was New Hampshire, and it's even worse for McCain in New Hampshire. A massive Obama margin has opened up here, uh, there, and I know what you're going to tell me. How about that primary with Hillary Clinton? Hey. Uh, There are always uh, surprises on election night, but it's only four electoral votes. But I doubt it. I think all the blue states are going to stay blue. Now, what has Obama added? Obama has automatically added Iowa and New Mexico. They were over early. Uh, Those are red states in 2004. Colorado is now completely over. It is Obama. I visited Nevada myself. I saw Uh, what the Democrats had done in terms of registration. They've taken a five-point Republican state and made it about a three-point Democratic state. I think that one's over. The surprise is that if McCain were not from Arizona, Arizona would be voting for Obama today. McCain is leading by two to five points in his home state. The Obama people are considering a last-minute raid into Arizona, which would be a little bit embarrassing. Uh, for McCain but I mean it's that close and I think McCain will carry it I have it leaning to McCain the day after the election the Obama people will move in for 2012 it will be the number one new target for 2012 and Democrats will have an excellent chance uh, to win it see the see the Western bulkhead that's being created for Democrats and it could last for quite some time because of the growth of the Hispanic vote now (laughs) North Dakota 27 points margin for George Bush in 2004, it is tied. It could go either way. North Dakota, uh, Montana, tied. tied. Personally, I've got them both leaning to McCain because I think he'll win by a few points, but that tells you everything you need to know. Right there. To get a 27 percent margin down to two or three or four? Good God. Missouri, of all the states I've got for Obama. This is the one I'm least sure of. That could easily be McCain's. It's going to be the usual Missouri margin of a percent or two, one way or the other. That's, that's Obama's weakest state. Uh, Florida is leaning Obama. No one would be surprised uh, about anything in Florida, uh, but we'll see what happens there. Georgia, as I mentioned, McCain up only a few points. North Carolina, looks to be leaning to Obama again. I wouldn't be shocked if McCain carried it narrowly, but uh, 14 points for Bush in 2004. And we're we're arguing about who's going to carry North Carolina. A lot of you are from Virginia, and you know the changes. I don't have to discuss the demographic changes and other changes in Virginia. I think, and I was hesitant to do it. I held out a long time. I don't believe the polls that say it's 10 or 11 points for Obama. I think it'll be 3 or 4, maybe 5, something like that. But incredibly, I think, for the first time since 1964, uh, Virginia will be voting Democratic for president. And remember, once it's established as a toss-up, it remains a toss-up. The good news is we get attention, and I hope more promises of federal aid to the Center for Politics in the future. (laughs) Don't think I haven't used it. Uh, The bad news is you from Virginia will be subjected to every negative ad forever. You will see every one. We were uh, exempt from that for decades. It's gone. So Ohio leaning Uh, to Obama. Again, a closer margin there, but leaning to Obama. Okay, long and short of it, boom, here is the total and it's big. Now I should tell you mine is much bigger than most people are projecting and I could be wrong, but I've got Obama at 364. Now I do have 91 leaning. Let's say he only gets half of those, that brings him down to, you know, 320, 325. Hey, that's pretty good. 270 needed to win. Bush got 271 in 2000, and 286 in 2004. So Obama's going to get a far larger base in the Electoral College than Bush ever got. And look at this, 174 for McCain, and 42 of them only lean to him. I could see him getting up to 190, even 200. That's it. I just just can't imagine how it will go further. The final slide is potentially what could make this, and I don't believe it, but I'm presenting it to you so that you will remember on election night if there's a giant upset and John McCain becomes the new Harry Truman. Remember, there are several ways you can tell somebody's losing. First, they attack the media and blame them for all their problems. Check that for the McCain campaign. Second, the the, uh, campaign higher-ups call all the analysts like me to point fingers at one another in passing blame as to who was responsible for the defeat. Check mark. The third one is citing Harry Truman. Two days ago, McCain did it. (laughs) That's That's the one I was waiting for. We haven't had a Harry Truman since Harry Truman. And why did we have a Harry Truman? We were in the middle of the New Deal, heavily Democratic, latent party ID came back at the end. Gallup, which was the only major pollster at the time, stupidly said the election was over 10 days before the election and stopped polling, and he missed entirely the late shift to Truman. We don't have that problem. There have been 14 national polls since 9 a.m. yesterday. Well, they'll be polling until 7 p.m. you know uh, for the for the Western time zone, or 8 p.m. Uh, for the Western time zone on Tuesday night. So we're not missing much that's going on in the electorate. But how many people are lying to pollsters? What is racial leakage? And I put Doug Wilder's picture up there. You've heard it referred to as the Bradley effect. It is not the Bradley effect. The Bradley effect was non-existent. That was poor polling by Mervyn Field, the California pollster. It doesn't exist, but it did exist in Virginia, and it has in in some other places. An African-American candidate, at least in the 1980s and early 1990s, tended to lose 5 to 6% of the supposedly committed voters on Election Day because they couldn't vote for an African-American. Now, who were these voters? I'm going to defend the Republicans in the audience. I've heard on certain networks that these are Republicans. No, the Republicans wouldn't vote for a Democrat if he were white, black, or green. It makes no difference. They're voting Republican. They're Democrats and Democratic-leaning independents. They're disproportionately male. They're disproportionately rural. They're disproportionately blue-collar. They're disproportionately higher, high, uh, no higher education, high school, and below. They're the ones that flake off. They tell pollsters they're voting Democratic ahead of time on Election Day they go in and vote Republican. Could there be some racial leakage? Sure. But, you know, we've made a lot of progress since the 1980s. We really have. It almost cost Wilder the election. He lost 5 to 6%, went from 56% of the vote in the polls to 50.1% on Election Day. It could happen, but I would think it would be a point or two at most, and it's being counteracted by the rush of young people who are attracted to Obama's multiracial background by the enormous turnout of African-Americans and other minorities. So, you know, I I think this is overdone. It's overdone. Uh, But if it happens, you remember those two words because that's going to be it. Remember who did it. Remember who did it. If it happens. I doubt it does. Okay, (laughs) the fat lady is singing. In my view, the fat lady is singing and what a delightful person she is. And while I take a couple of questions, while we still got time, I want to push that book again. (laughs) Thank you very much. All right. Thank you very much. I was told that I had to answer these two questions from alumni first. Don't blame me, blame the Alumni Association. Bill Hurt from the UVA Club of of Houston, and he was a major original sponsor of the More Than The the Score lecture series, and so we salute him for this, and uh, uh, he's a a great supporter of the university. Now, uh, uh, the first question that he asked is, what will be the perception of U.S. foreign policy going forward by other countries, depending on who wins? The ambassador should answer that question, um, and I know he doesn't want to. But uh, I, look, you know you've seen the same polls I have. I, I think every there are about four countries in the world who prefer McCain, and the other one hundred and thirty-seven uh, want Obama to win, sometimes by margins up to ninety percent. Now you, it's all about Bush. It's the same thing, it's Bush. All right, they just want, they want change, they want somebody who's not Bush, and you know, that explains that. All right, now, the second question, Adam Hatcher, who was a former student of mine many years ago, Adam is very old now. Uh, he is club president of the UVA club of Augusta, Georgia. And he said, when Evan Bay, U.S. Senator of Indiana, came to speak to our Politics 101 class decades ago, he was introduced as the next president of the United States. How much longer do we have to wait? Um, Thank you, Adam. And of course, Evan Bayh is a wahoo, so we need to point that out. Uh, Frankly, when I said that the candidates didn't make good choices, they were much better choices for both. One of the better choices for Obama was absolutely Evan Bayh. Far better choice than uh, Joe Biden. Uh, Just in electoral terms, Indiana, I didn't mention Indiana, it's tight as a tick. McCain's up one point in Indiana. Again, 22 points for George Bush in 2004. One point. Do you think Obama would be ahead in Indiana if he had Evan Bayh, the two-term governor, two-term senator, extremely popular Democratic politician on that ballot with him? You better believe it. Election over. See, because you've got 11 in Indiana and then the 20 in Ohio with three overlapping media markets from Indiana where Evan Bayh is very well-known and well-liked. Election over. Could have been over from the very beginning, but he picked a guy from Delaware Three electoral votes, it's automatically democratic anyway. Boom. And by the way, heaven by doesn't make gaffes. With the, turn-
0: with the turnover uh, in the House and the Senate, is there a chance that Reed and Pelosi are vulnerable?
1: Reed and Pelosi are not only not vulnerable, they will be rewarded. You do not replace leaders when they win. And... Are they responsible? Of course they're not responsible. But they're going to share in the glow and the glory of election night. And both of them will be back. Yes? Do you think uh, Tom Periolo can win? And uh, how influential do you think the right-wing talk radio is? I missed the second part. I'm sorry. How influential is the right-wing talk radio? Okay, of, well, uh, Periello is a local Democrat here in the 5th Congressional District. We still have the district leaning to Good. It is a heavily Republican district in the southern part of the district. You don't believe that because you obviously live in the northern part, right? You know, and, and, this, and everybody says, how could he win? Well, he wins because the bulk of the district is in Southside on the North Carolina border, and he gets 80 to 85 percent in Franklin County, the largest voting county in Pennsylvania and all these other uh, conservative rural counties in the South. So is there some chance of an upset? If ever there would be an upset, it would be this year. All right? But uh, we still have it leaning to Goot. All right? There's uh, one guaranteed Democratic turnover in Virginia. Up in the 11th, uh, Jerry Connolly will win Tom Davis's seat. By the way, Davis visited me. I've got to show you this. Uh, I carry this with me now as a warning about what could happen. Davis Davis um, came by to see me. Congressman Tom Con Davis, moderate Republican. Would have made a much better candidate for the Senate this year, uh, in case you're interested. But uh, he, he took a CODEL, a congressional delegation trip, uh, to a number of countries. He came back to see me, and uh, he said, look, I brought a gift for you. He says, I, I really like the Center for Politics. I really want to make a contribution to it. And I want to present you with a $100 billion check. and it's, it's, it's a bill. I mean, it's $100 billion. The problem is it's from Zimbabwe. <laughs> this buys a small loaf of bread if it's available. $100 billion. And that's what I worry about for everybody's future with stagflation and inflation and deflation and lots of things going on and we hope it doesn't happen. I don't want to be too pessimistic. All right, who's next? I don't know who's next.
0: Looking to the future, uh, who becomes the, the leader or the front-runner in the Republican Party on, on Wednesday morning?
1: Great question. Who's the lead? Look, sir, I, I tell you, the way I look at it, um, again, speaking to those of you Republicans, and again, I'm, I'm worried about, I hope you've got your antidepressants. You know, you don't need the liquor. You can take antidepressants. They're probably healthier for you. But I want you to think about this. You're actually better off. To have the house burn to the ground. Here's what happens when a house only burns halfway to the ground. You try and build, rebuild that half and graft it on to the remaining piece of the old house and it doesn't fit and it doesn't look good and the technology won't work. Uh, It's better to burn to the ground. Then you can rebuild in a modern way, a new party. You can put Bush and all the congressional leaders, leadership behind. Uh, and, frankly, you've got some tough decisions to make. And, and I know that people have various views out there, but let me tell you something. Your future as a party is in fiscal conservatism. If you continue on this track of right-wing social conservatism on a lot of these social issues that I mentioned, You are going to permanently lose this young generation that I'm teaching right now. They do not agree with the positions of my generation and your generation on those social issues. They just don't. And as a consequence, you've got some tough decisions to make about who's going to be in your party and how it's going to be structured and what issues you stress. And sir, those issues and the rebuilding of the superstructure of the party is far more important then who actually succeeds, because if you don't change the superstructure, you will continue to lose. You can put Palin up, you can put Bobby Jindal up, you can put Mitt Romney up, you can put Tim Pawlenty up, great guy, governor of Minnesota. He was on the short list for VP. He'd been led to believe he would get it. I saw him up at Minnesota right after after Sarah Palin was picked. He came up to me and whispered in my ear and said, I was one chromosome away from being vice president. (laughs) Yes, ma'am.
0: Good morning. I'm Holly Navarre, graduate of 95 and former student of your internship. Wonderful. Terrific. So thank you for the inspiration, Larry.
1: Thank you so much. You're nice.
0: I have two questions. The first one is, now that our system is obviously broken more than ever with the evidence that we're seeing in the current news, besides reading your book, what can I as a citizen and other citizens do to make sure that the necessary changes are made, and two, could you remind me of the three or four newspapers we're supposed to be reading every day?
1: <laughs> there you were. Great questions. Um, you're absolutely right. First, you read the book. Then you decide which of the 23 changes you support, probably 20 out of the 23 um, on average. Uh, and, and then you start writing your senators and your congressmen No, I mean, obviously, there are a lot of things you can do. Look, you're already you're, you're here. You're here. I mean, this is the morning after Halloween. Let me give you a Halloween fact. You're you're all upset about the money that's being spent this year. I've heard this from everybody all over the country. One billion was spent by the presidential candidates in 2000. This year it's five billion dollars. Five billion to run for president. Isn't that awful? Yes. Except that last night Americans on just candy spent six. Billion dollars. Now, some of you may disagree with me, but I have to think picking a president is more important than Halloween. But you're here. You're you're serious. You 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 obviously weren't out trick or treating all night, and I appreciate it. Living on the lawn, there others were, uh, and uh, most of them didn't have clothes, if you know what I mean. So you're you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Just keep doing it. Stay active in parties and interest groups and all the rest. You're asking me to endorse newspapers. Look, here is the great thing about our modern media system. I hear people talk all the time about media bias. Of course there's media bias. There's media bias all over the place in lots of different directions. And it depends on the commentator, not just the, the station. Do you know how much better it is today than it used to be? Think about this. We've got... Thousands of outlets, thousands, thousands of blogs, all these news channels, all the other uh, internet-based operations that enable us to get news in new ways. Every one of us should have a separate news organization. How? You bookmark the ones that you like, but I hope also a few that challenge you to think about things you may not agree with. That's important too, if only to come up with counter arguments. And every morning you go through your bookmarks and you look at those publications. The Americans who are in trouble, in my view, are the ones who look at just one or two or three news channels or newspapers all the time. Because the probability is they're getting only one or two sides of very complicated issues. Now, let me take a couple of more questions. Thank you so much, and Is have a wonderful anybody day. paying attention to uh, the national debt, uh, and is it likely something is going to be done about it? When we take a look at the current national debt, you add that unfunded liabilities, guarantees of this government. You take a look at the borrowing from the Social Security Fund, from Medicare Fund. Arguably, it could be $45 trillion right now, most of which uh, the actual debt itself is being funded by countries that uh, are not our best friends. And if they were to uh, pull the plug, demand payment, where would we be? So, is, is anybody paying attention to that at all in Washington? Where is Ross Perot when we really need him? Where are those pie charts? Look, it's not just the, the ten trillion dollar debt. We have fifty-three trillion dollars of other commitments already made for Social Security, Medicare, Veterans benefits, da 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 da. Between now and 2050, fifty-three trillion on top of the ten trillion. I have a hard time going into the classroom and facing young people. I think my generation, and I'm sorry baby boomers, we have been the most selfish generation in American history. So unlike the depression baby, so unlike the World War II generation, we're selfish. We want it all, we want it all now, Uh, we want to buy it on credit. And what the heck, somebody will be there to inherit the debt. And we're going to have to lower expectations. Boy, is it going to be painful. We are going to have to work a couple of years longer, at least a couple of years longer than we planned on. And we're not going to have Social Security benefits as high as we had hoped. And we're not going to have all of the coverage that we may have wanted under health care, even with the new health care system. It's not going to be possible. We're bankrupt. We're bankrupt. And that's why I've, I've laughed during this presidential campaign. John McCain lives in Disneyland. Barack Obama lives in Disney World. They're passing out spending programs and tax cuts. And like there's no tomorrow. And you know what both of them were saying to us? They're saying, elect me and I'm going to institute my hot fudge Sunday diet. You're going to love it. You love hot fudge Sundays and you're going to lose weight too. No, you're not going to lose weight. And you're the food pyramid is being cheated, you know, with the hot fudge on So, yeah, it gets me upset. Can you tell? All right.
0: I realize your business is to look at current trends and model what will happen in the future, but I wonder if you would be willing to step back and speculate
1: what this would look like, what this election would look like now if Hillary Clinton had gotten a nomination. Sure. Uh, that's a great question. I believe that any Democrat would have won this election. Had she gotten a few more delegate votes, she would, next Tuesday, have been President-elect of the United States. Here's the difference. Barack Obama had a much higher ceiling for electoral votes than she did. I believe she she would, not, she would be competitive in Florida. She would not be competitive in North Carolina. Not a chance Virginia would be voting for Hillary Clinton. I can go through the, the other states if you like. She would have gotten 286, 290, that's just fine. I mean, 270, you win. But I'm just saying, the Clintons are polarizers. They always have been. They always will be. So they would have polarized the country despite the unpopularity of George Bush. So as a result, if you're a Democrat, she would have started out in a weaker position than Obama's likely to. If you're a Republican, you'd be delighted by that. She would have started out in a weaker position than Barack Obama is likely to do. But that, I think she would have won, but with fewer electoral votes. Yes? Uh,
0: With regard to the Bradley effect, do you think it's actually some Democrats lying to pollsters who they don't even know? Or do you think it's more likely that it's more of a pro-black bias on the part of some Democrats who early on say, oh, black person running that's never been in this seat before, never been governor, never been president, let's give them a chance. But then as it gets closer, they, they decide to vote on the merits, which in some cases, for some people, would be the white candidate.
1: Well, that's an interesting interpretation. Look, I saw this with the Wilder election. It was cool to be for the African-American candidate, not just for young people, but also for middle-aged people who had grown up during massive resistance, who had uh, uh, endured uh, the, uh, the 60s and were embarrassed about the Jim Crow laws. In retrospect, they may have supported them at the time. Voting for Doug Wilder became a badge of honor, at least in public, because it said, I'm with it. I'm, I'm with it. I'm not racist, I'm racially tolerant, right? And there is some of that with Obama, no question about it. But again, the world has changed dramatically. And the country is not the Virginia of 19 years ago. It's much more moderate as a whole than Virginia is now or ever was, for sure. So there's maybe some voters who fall into your category, um, and we're going to study this for years. The great news is... That this is going to produce a lot of business for me, and, and that's what's really important. All right, we got two more questions. I think we got to go after that. Let me get—I don't know who's next. As a, as a Jefferson voter, what lessons would you draw from the election of eighteen hundred for this year? Dear God, no. Uh, let's let's hope it doesn't happen again because we we don't. First of all, uh, there's there's no one as cowardly and vicious and vile as Aaron Burr in this election. I want you to know that, okay? And I didn't mention Adams. I've left him alone. He's a saint now, according to that HBO series. I'm furious about it. Where was the multi-part series on Mr. Jefferson? But that's another subject. Uh, but, you know, look, the, the election of 1800, as you know, was the, was the, the tie, because that was before the, the, we had to pass 12th Amendment, which had the... The uh, uh, the provision for voting for president and vice president separately, so you know it just doesn't apply. Thank goodness, and let's hope we don't have that electoral deadlock. You know, the 269 to 269 is going to happen one of these years, and when it does, all hell is going to break loose as the election goes in. Well, first there'll be a there'll be a bizarre bazaar b a z a a r for the votes of electoral college members with no doubt money under the table and all kinds of things that we won't find out for a while. And then if it gets to the House of Representatives, well, just imagine. Look, that's that's one thing we agree with the founders on. Americans have never expected much of Congress. Uh, and to think they would be picking the president, uh, it's frightening. It's absolutely frightening. Let me get last question, and then we're going to let you go to the game.
0: I thought the other gentleman had asked my question, but my question is, what Uh, analyze why Obama didn't choose Hillary Clinton as his vice presidential running mate and what impact that choice might have had on the margins?
1: Good good question. Look, a lot of, obviously the Hillary supporters feel very strongly that he should have picked her. But a president has to be able to work well with the vice president uh, over the four or eight year term. And truth be told, they just don't get along. Uh, The spouses don't get along. <laughs> well, actually, three of the four are probably don't. But anyway, uh, there are legitimate questions. Look, how? What would you do? What would you do with with Hillary Clinton and a former president roaming the White House? I mean, first of all, you'd have to hire extra food tasters. Uh, there's no question about that. Second, you know, Bill would be back in the White House with less to do, and we know what that might mean. There were there were a lot of complications, so. In retrospect, I really do believe he made the right decision for his administration. I can understand why Democrats wanted that that unity ticket. But uh, sometimes unity tickets for elections lead to disunited and disastrous administrations. So Obama probably made the right choice. And I know you're going to make the right choice today in cheering for Virginia, as we all do, and I've enjoyed seeing you as always. Thanks so much.